Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Brenda Barker, the TIPQC Executive Director, and we have two very special guests with us today. And we will also have our first ever English and Spanish podcast. Dr. Toby Emerson is the Assistant Commissioner of the Tennessee Department of Health, Division of Health and Wellness. In this position, Dr. Emerson daily advocates and directs activities to protect, promote, and improve the health of Tennessee families. She oversees the Tennessee Department of Health work on impacting pregnant women and their newborns, as well as many other areas, including breastfeeding promotion, diabetes prevention, early childhood programs, violence and injury prevention, newborn screening, tobacco prevention, and the WIC nutrition program. Dr. Amundsen will be moderating our conversation today, so I'm going to let you take it away. Thank you, Brenda. In my work at TDH, I am the Assistant Commissioner for Tennessee Department of Health. I am in charge of all of the maternal child health initiatives, as well as our injury prevention section. In addition to that, I'm also in charge of our reproductive women's health, our chronic disease and health promotion, as well as our supplemental nutrition program. And I'm delighted to introduce all of you to Dr. Hector Carrasco. He is our new Director of Health Equity at TDH. And in terms of his background, he is a physician who had his training in Monterrey, Mexico, and has also gotten a doctorate and an MPH and is extremely talented, extremely knowledgeable about a lot of things with health equity. I'm going to let him talk a little bit about his background. And Hector, welcome. Hi, Dr. Amundsen. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. So I grew up in a very rural community in Chihuahua, in Mexico. I, I think probably nobody knows about that state, Chihuahua, but it is a state that's just in the border with Texas, a very rural community. My father was a multi-grade classroom teacher, which means that he's the, the teacher from like first grade to sixth grade. We didn't have access to healthcare. I knew that I wanted to be a physician to alleviate suffering. And this is why I went to medical school. And then I realized that the medicine was treated and healthcare was treated as a commodity. In the medical school where I was, we had a public hospital and a private hospital. Mm-hmm. In the public hospital, the patients didn't receive quality care. In the private hospital, people received everything. And I would see people dying in the public hospital, but I was sure that we'll like have made like great in the private hospital. So I knew that I wanted to practice with underserved communities. So I went to Chiapas. This is the poorest state in, in Mexico using the border with Guatemala, from border to border. So I spent there four years as a rural physician, seeing patients in rural communities. And then I realized that most of my patients 
they suffer or die from social conditions that emerge as a disease, like poverty, getting the skin and come out as diabetes or malnutrition. And then they came to my clinic and I feel really unprepared to deal with these cases. So I knew that my pathway was public health. So I came to the U.S. to learn about public health, first to Baltimore, Johns Hopkins, and then to Boston. I went to Harvard for a doctor in public health. And then I met my wife during my doctorate program, and she dragged me to Tennessee. So I started <laughs> working as an overdose response coordination office. And I think that I was lucky to have a great team there. And then I started like meeting people in family health and wellness. And then I met Dr. Amundsen. And I knew, I knew that I wanted to work with her or for her. So I knew that I wanted to be part of this amazing team in family health and wellness. And one training that we had, I was like, yeah, this is the place where I want to be. And now I'm the director of family health and wellness and really, really happy with my new position. So we are so excited to have you as part of our team. There's so much work that had been started by the person who was previously in your role that we are excited to take to the next level. What will your new role entail? It is what this role can be. Kind of imagine what the possibilities and then try to define better. So right now, there are like three main things that we have defined with this position and you have been part of this process. The first one is we want to ensure that all the programs that we have in the division benefit underserved and marginalized communities. So in Tennessee, 22% of our population is rural. We have a lot of minorities. And of course, we also have people in very low socioeconomic status. Like Tennessee is a state that needs a lot of support. So in that way, what I'm doing is meeting with the program director, visiting our programs in the field, learning about health equity gaps, and then working with the staff to try to address those gaps in services. So this is one thing. And of course, we're trying to develop a five-year plan that we're going to be working next year to kind of develop how we're going to materialize health equity across our division. So the other is there are many health equity efforts across the Tennessee Department of Health and even outside and other agencies. So we want to coordinate and align services we want to make sure that what we're doing is adding value. So my role is also entails to have conversations with partners and colleagues across Tennessee Department of Health and different agencies, and even outside Tennessee Department of Health, trying to coordinate and aligning health equity efforts. And of course, also connecting with external, with external stakeholders or community-based organizations. So we want to have connection with everybody. So right now, something that I do, it is, I have a radio program since October 2020 in El Jefe Radio. So I'm Dr. Carrasco there. And I talk about health and well-being. I talk about like hypertension, diabetes, but also national noticias, instead of national, all these are Latino media outlets that people listen to. But there are also amazing organizations out there that I have been approaching to, like, like Homeland Heart, which provides training and support for women and infants of color through midwives and doulas. So this concept of accompaniment, you know, it's like following, like follow up, but walking in solidarity with women after delivery and even before. So like connecting with Mika, like the Memphis Interfaith Coalition for Action and Hope and, and that are faith-based, but also they have labor and nonprofit organizations and this coalition. And that also connecting with universities like Mehari, they have a huge group of researchers that are working in a project called the Exposome which they have like 75,000 like variables to define health disparities in the U.S. And they're amazing 
So you talking to different organizations, I would say ensuring our services benefit marginalized and poor and minorities in Tennessee, connecting with other colleagues and leaders that are trying to advance health equity too, and connecting with external organizations. I would say that this is what my position entails. Doing this translation in Spanish. So this podcast will be available bilingually. And as we're talking about this, can you tell us a little bit about the work you're going to be doing specifically around that perinatal maternal infant space? Because that's a really big focus that we've had over the past couple of years. So tell us a little bit about that perinatal maternal infant space. Well, this is no news for you, of course. We know that compared to white women and infants, white infants like Black mothers die three times, it's more likely for them to die from pregnancy-related issues. And Black infants are twice as likely to die before the first birthday compared with white infants. So we have some disparities in terms of rate. We have some disparities in terms of geography, like in rural regions also. We have it is more likely for infants and moms to die. We have also some disparities when it comes to socioeconomic status, right? Like poor, low income, have it is more likely that they experience more suffering and for many conditions. What I have been doing is trying to understand the gaps. There are so many barriers to care and to have a dignified life in Tennessee. And this is across the U.S. It's not specific to Tennessee. But definitely there are things that we can be doing better. So understanding the gaps when it comes to socioeconomic status, social capital, income, discrimination, geography, literacy, so forth. And then learning about what services we have in family health and wellness. So in maternal health, we have amazing services that many people don't know about it. So we have breast and cervical cancer program. So this screens women for free and provide treatment for free. We have WIC, that is a nutrition program for women and children. And many people will know, but it's around like, for example, I was talking to people in Nashville that lead this program. 46% of the people who receive WIC are from Hispanic ethnicity. Or 40% of the people, Spanish is the first language. We have also family planning. We have so many programs for maternal health, and we want to make sure that these programs are benefiting everybody. When it comes to shallow health, we have also amazing programs that I have had the chance to visit in person, being in the field, doing like home visits. We have CHAN, which is a community health access and navigation program in Tennessee. So this is person-centered navigation. It's so hard to navigate the health system in the U.S. And it's so hard to know what social services are available. So imagine if you have somebody who help you to navigate the healthcare system and also social services and social support networks so that you have access to the best. So this is chance. And for me, it has been an eye-opening experience. It's just amazing what is happening. We have newborn screening programs. We have a lead poisoning program, prevention program. So we have so many programs out there that we want to make sure that are benefiting everybody. So now, also a big part of what I'm doing is trying to see what is available outside. There are so many organizations doing great work. So we want to be in contact with them and try to collaborate. And then finally, we want to develop the strategies and actions to address health disparities. That is, I mean, that's so exciting. And when I hear you talk about it, I already know this is happening, but when I hear you talk about it, it makes me excited too. Can you give us a few highlights around some of the great things that are happening specifically around Latino MCH, so MCH being maternal child health, like breastfeeding initiation and duration as well as safe sleep, some of the good things that are happening in that area? Well, we have 
specific programs that promote breastfeeding initiation and, and also duration as a family health and wellness. And starting with this one, of course, we know that breastfeeding is the optimal source of nutrition for most infants, right? With some exceptions, like diseases, but it's for most of them. And we know also that it's associated with a reduced, reduced risk for virus infections in kids, but also for reduced risk of high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes and ovarian cancer and breast cancer among, among mothers. So if we think in, in what is going on in Tennessee, according to the CDC 2018 like data, we know that the prevalence of breastfeeding immunization is around like 81% in the state overall. And of course, Asian is like 92%, Hispanic is like 85%, white is like 83%, and black is 71%. So we have some disparities when it comes to who is starting a breastfeeding initiation in general. And then if we think about what is going on in hospitals, with mm-hmm. the, and this is where most of the newborns are like, where we have most of the deliveries. According to the CDC, the 2020 National Hospital Survey for Maternal maternity practices and infant nutrition and care after delivery. And this was a survey made to all hospitals in Tennessee. And to the question, when breastfeeding mothers request infant formula, staff counseled them about possible consequences. Only 22% of the Tennessee hospital responded with ideal response. That is, ideal is yes, of course. In the same survey, only 42% of moms were taught or shown how to position and latch their newborn or assess effective breastfeeding or hand express milk. These are very important skills for a new mom. And many times this doesn't happen in hospitals. So I think that there are areas that we can improve in Tennessee. Definitely we can increase breastfeeding initiation in, in the state. And I think that this is what our programs are trying to do in general. Now, when it comes to safe sleep, we know that what is also happening in the state, right? In 2020, there were 459 infants that died the infants like before uh, their first year of life. So, and 23% of these cases were related to sleep disorders. That was 155 infants. And we know that many of these deaths are preventable. So our teams, our perinatal, uh, pediatric and infant care team are working to decrease these deaths. Definitely, I think there is a lot of work that we need to do in these two areas. And definitely we need the support of physicians, nurses, hospitals, community-based organizations, everybody, so that we can prevent these deaths from happening. Thank you so much. That's such good information. And just thinking about how it affects different populations differently. Sort of moving on to another question along that line, many physicians and nurses and other medical professionals would be listening today. Are there any specific cultural suggestions you would have specifically for caring for Latino moms and babies? Because it's a different population than everybody. So you always have to want to, you want to be culturally sensitive. So what specific suggestions would you have? And this is, I think this is a very important topic because right now, according to the latest census that we have, 7% of the population in Tennessee is Hispanic. It then still identify as Hispanic. But like by 2050, this is going to be one third of the population according to some recent projections. So definitely, we want to make sure that these people receive the best care, the Hispanic population receive the best care that we can. Now, there is a lot of trainings about cultural competency out there, and I have been like reviewing a few of them. And something that is interesting is to think that we can be competent in the culture of somebody else 
Mm-hmm. That sometimes is hard for me to understand. So something that I have tried to practice instead is being humble, mm-hmm. is cultural humility. It is, okay, I'm not going to understand what is going on, but I'm going to ask. I'm not going to understand many things because I grew up in Mexico. There are many things that I won't understand about the U.S., for example. But I'm going to be open and show up and ask and try to, when I'm designing a program or developing a new service in a clinic, I'm going to ask people, like, how would you like this to look like so that you have the best service that we can? So I think that working in that part, just listening your patients, be patient. Use, I know we're physicians, but be patient and also trying to learn as much as you can. Like people love to be asked, where are you from? Like, what do your family do? Tell me more about what you do in the U.S. So it's, there's a lot of change. When I was working in Chiapas, I remember that a big part of my visit, it was just talking about family. Just, just like we have like the person who comes for follow-up or hypertension we just have a long conversation about family. How's everybody doing? So I think that, that's very important. Now, let me think about... So now, when people arrive to your clinic, assume that they have to surpass so many barriers uh, to be there. Yeah. Be so grateful. Be grateful and honor all the work that people have to pass to make it there. Sometimes it is not easy. It's not easy at all. Of course, language, transportation are very obvious barriers, but also sometimes models of care are oh. hard to understand and how to navigate the system that many times, in my mind, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's so hard. So I think that, like, be grateful, provide the best service that you can, because we don't know if next time they're going to be able to surpass all those barriers again. Provide the best care that you can. And when, it, when I think in equity, I think in going a little bit the extra mile. Mm. It's going to take more time. If you want to provide a high-quality service, it might take more time, more involvement, more resources. But that's what health equity is about. It is less about quantity and more about quality. So spend time with people. And of course, if you need translators or interpreters, please use them and work with them. If you can learn Spanish, a little bit, a few words, that's amazing. I remember. I will, I will say that I have, and this was back when I was in training in Pittsburgh. I still remember, and I, and granted, at the time, my high school, like I had, was just pulling off of high school Spanish, but I still remember having a family come in and the dad, and Pittsburgh at the time did not have a lot of Latino families. And so it was mm-hmm. very rare for me to get to use Spanish, but there was a family. And I think I was doing, I think I was doing like a laceration repair or something like that on this child. And I was able to say, Hey, it's going to be really cold in Spanish. And you just saw like them calm down a little bit because like I was trying to irrigate out the cut, whatever it was. And you just saw like this expression on their face of just, Oh, okay. They understand a little bit of what I'm saying. And like, there is so much security and just like joy and from a family of knowing that the people who are around them are able to address what they need in their language. So so I think that we can do an extra effort to provide the best care that we can because at the end, healthcare is all about dignity. Mm. It is about dignifying the person's life. It is Mm. about ensuring that that person has fulfilled his purpose in life and that person needs the best care in order to do everything else like taking care of the children, work, et cetera. 
So it's very important. And one of my favorite decisions of all time is, is Rudolf Virchow. And this is a German decision. He was a really, so he would say that doctors are the natural attorney mm-hmm. of the poor and the disadvantaged. Interesting. So, and this is something that I want to bring up because when I think in health, health is a social thermometer that it tells you where our society is failing. And when we think about pediatricians and people who take care of mom, you all these diseases that you see many times point to social problems that we have to solve. So also I will ask physicians is try to think a little bit beyond your clinic. Hmm. Think, reflect about what are the social problems, what are the policies that are making this person come here with a disease, sure. and get involved. The code is not to is not only to be used inside your office. It is also to go outside with your code. You're a physician not only when you're in the clinic. You are a physician all day, and you can go to Congress. You can get involved in our programs. You can advocate for your patients. And I think that when it comes to Hispanic patients. They need a lot of doctors involved trying to advocate too for sure. better, better services. So yeah, I would say to serve is a privilege and assume that people pass a lot of barriers to make it to your office and honor that and work hard to also address the social conditions that make people sick. And I know as we're talking about all of this, do you have any specific suggestions specifically for people who may be listening who are from Latino families. So in case this excerpt gets taken to them, what specific suggestions do you have for them? It is interesting because when I do my radio program, I receive calls from people and it's like, Dr. Carrasco, what about this? Like, I have a headache or like sometimes they send me like pictures of a pill, like white pill. It's like, what is this good for? It's like, well, <laughs> so and it's not that I pretend that we can provide care through the radio. Of course, sure. this is all public health. This is all like prevention and like what is hypertension and what is cervical cancer and so forth. But I think that many times people don't know where to go. And I think that making, like doing the homework of informing yourself what services are available, like go to a website, the Tennessee Department of Health website, read about the programs that we have. There are so many programs there that sometimes are not utilized by people who need them the most. I was in a clinic with a pediatrician, an amazing pediatrician, Dr. Asaro, in Smyrna this week. And I remember that there were so many services and, and some nurses would tell me, sometimes we don't see as many patients as we would like. So I think that it is, and these are services that are there. We're all paying for those services. So I, I think that getting informed and learning about those services is important. I think when it comes to child and maternal health, breastfeeding is so important. Yeah. Well, child visits are so important. Many times we wait until the kid is sick or we feel like we don't feel well to go to the doctor. Don't wait until then. Go before, especially when, when I think in chronic conditions like diabetes or hypertension, those diseases that last forever, it's like you probably won't feel anything. And sure. still you have to go to the doctor and see what is going on. Because probably when your body starts develop, developing symptoms, probably it's going to be too late. So, and also, I would say that speak up and be prepared for your office visit. When you see your doctor, ask questions. Don't be shy. Health is a right. Yeah. And we physicians are paid for provide services. Yeah, es un derecho. Es un derecho. 
Es yeah. un derecho en the doctor is there to provide the best care, but also I like to think of this synergy between physicians and doctors as a balance, physicians and patients. So it is doctors are going to give as much as the patient asks for. It is this balance. So I think that if you don't request much from your doctor, probably you won't receive much. So you need to advocate and that synergy then it will provide the best balance possible. So yeah, I will give that those recommendations to our patients. Awesome. So as we wrap it up, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Well, first, I'm really excited about what is possible in Tennessee. I think that as I reflect more and more in my role and our role, family health and wellness, I know that we can advance what is possible in the South. I think that we can, family health and wellness has, has a lot of services that we want for everybody to enjoy and to learn from and to utilize. And I think that for me, that's, I'm very hopeful. And I think that 2023 is going to be a great year for everybody. So I think that, I don't know, as, as we start reflecting on what is next for the next year, I think that we, sometimes it feels that the world, it is, without, it has a lot of challenges, right? It's like war, like nuclear crisis, ecological yeah, like collapse, and all these like politics sometimes and so forth. So I would say that I think let's make of 2023 a great year for everybody in Tennessee. So I want to make an invitation for physicians, for nurses, for healthcare professionals, public health people who can be listening, who might be listening to this podcast. Let's give our best. Let's give our best uh, through our work, taking care of our families, our communities. Let's do our best because I think that this is how, I think I like to think in life is like, what am I going to feel proud of? What am I going to feel that I contribute to, to my community through my work? And I think that this is a question that we have to start making ourselves. And I would like to close with those words and with that invitation. And as we are closing out this podcast, I would just invite everyone to just, I always consider December to be a period of rest. And so take a pause to think and reflect about what's been good this year, what's been hard this year, and what we can do better. And so I just like to say a big thank you to Dr. Clasco. Thank you for your time today and thank you for your work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.